0: Welcome to episode 11 of How About Them Huskies. I'm Connor with Matt, Andrew, and Matt. And we got a little Christmas theme here. It's the last episode before Christmas. So, yeah, this Christmas episode. We'll call it that. And UConn, a little bit scary. They beat Georgetown 84-73 to on Tuesday night. And it was the first time all year they were trailing the second half. And they were down as many as, I believe, like seven or eight. Like, it looked like at one point Georgetown was going to win the game. But nonetheless... The Super 5, I'm going to call them. Joey Calcaterra, Hassan Diara, Nahima Lean, Andre Jackson, and Donovan Klingin. All five of them on the floor at once. They fueled the comeback. It was like, I don't believe, a 16-2 to two run or something like that to take the lead. Really, it was Joey Calcaterra. I mean, some of the plays he made were ridiculous. Like that behind-the-back pass to Klingin for the dunk. The, the dagger three that Gample was going nuts for. Really, Joey, he had fourteen points in the game, all of which in the second half, he fueled the comeback and he just really surprised me all season long. So, what are your guys' thoughts from the Georgetown game? Sark, we can start with you
1: Um, that was a pretty scary game, to say the least. I mean, the fact that we were down. That many to Georgetown makes you ask a lot of questions. Like, is Georgetown actually a solid squad? I mean, I got to give credit to Primo Spears. I mean, he played like a dog, he played better than any of our guards except for maybe Calcaterra. But I mean, he was he was doing his thing. A cook did his thing in his homecoming. But you know, makes you ask a lot of questions. But one question you don't have to ask anymore is: Is Joey Calcaterra that guy? Because he is fourteen points in just seventeen minutes. In that game, he he really took that game out of Georgetown's hands with that pass to in and then the three and even a couple of the floaters and that layup that he had. I mean, everybody that touched the floor in that game was just incredible. It was really an incredible comeback, but it really shouldn't have been as close as it was. But, I mean, credit to Georgetown for competing with us for so long, but still a little bit shaky, but, you know, a win's a win.
2: Yeah, um, I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say that was a high character win. And people aren't going to want me to say that because they're like, oh, Georgetown isn't even good. They're under 500. They're not going to be good. But they have to dig deep for this one. And they had to get it going in ways that they usually don't get it going. So that's why I think it was high character. Obviously, we might not win this game without Calcaterra's second half explosion. But we just got it done in a different way than we usually do. And we lost the rebound battle. So That's why I think it's high character because we just got it done in a different way, which is a sign of a great team. However, I would like to see us handle Georgetown a little better, but a win is a win nonetheless, especially in the Big East.
3: Yeah, I'd have to agree that the win was uh, very high character as uh, we were up uh, seven points going into halftime and then straight out of half, they went on a large run. I don't know the specifics right now, but, that could be debilitating to a team when you just can't put the ball in the bucket. They were struggling from everywhere to start off the half. Um, credit it to Hurley though. The lineup that he put in was very defensive uh, when we were down. Uh, I was surprised to not see many more like high scorers in there, you know, putting in Diara in there was a bit of a, a risky move in my opinion. Uh, you know, he's not necessarily known as a scorer, but he does a lot of great things with the ball and on defense um But he came in and uh, just ran the floor very well. Uh, Calcaterra did all the scoring, basically. He had one assist the whole game, and it was a it was that ridiculous behind the back pass to Klingon, which he just put right in for his only two points of the game. You know, everything just came together at the right time, and you know he couldn't ask for more. Come uh, coming off that huge run that they put up,
0: yeah. Georgetown, for Big East standards, they're not a great team, but they're not a terrible team if you look at it like. Like you mentioned, Primo Spears had a great game. A Cook, even Kudus Wahab continued continued his success against UConn, and Brandon Murray, Jay Heath. That's a solid team. Like if it, they weren't a Big East team, which I don't think they win many games in the Big East, but they're gonna they're not gonna go 0-20. They might win win like five or six games in conference. But if they were like in a lower major conference with this squad, I think they could make a run like a serious run, maybe t- towards the tournament. And another thing, I want to bring up quickly: Andre Jackson. Seven points, eight rebounds, eight assists. It didn't even feel like he had that many in each. He just does it naturally. I think maybe this is a prediction. I'm not sure. I think we're going to see a triple-double out of him this year. It's kind of tough because sometimes he's in foul trouble, and sometimes he may not even get the scoring to get to 10 points. He hasn't done it too often this season. But if he's clicking and he stays on the floor, it's definitely a possibility to see a Jackson triple-double.
2: Yeah, and he's just ridiculously consistent. Like, every time I look at the – um, box score after the game, it's anywhere between seven and 10 points, six plus assists, six plus rebounds, a couple steals. Um, he's one of the more valuable players in the big East, even though he's not really putting up those points. And the reason for that is he's so consistent because the things he brings on a night in night out basis are just playmaking rebounding and intensity. And it's not shooting. So like, if he has an off night, he's still going to do the things he usually does. And when he has an on night, That's just great because he usually isn't scoring the ball very well.
3: Yeah, he never loses confidence, it seems like. It seems like, you know, he'll have, like, one of the most embarrassing mistakes a player can have, and then the next play he'll come down and he'll pin your shot off the backboard. He brings an energy to the team that they need um, offensively, defensively. I don't know where we would be without Andre Jackson. You know, even though he doesn't do much of the scoring, the entire game you feel like revolves around him when he's in. He has that kind of pull uh, to just, you know, you see him. Every time he's on the court, you know he's on the court. You know, there's never a dull moment in the game when he's in there.
0: Yeah, and I mean, his numbers are – since he rejoined the starting lineup, his numbers right now, he's averaging around like five points, five rebounds, five assists, something like that. Those are all like – in the 6-7 to range since he's re-entered the lineup. So it just shows, as he's coming back from that injury, he's fully healthy now. He's been healthy for about a month. But he's regaining his confidence, and he's a key factor to this team. And I'll just go through a couple more stats here. Alex Caravan finished with 8 points. He was kind of a non-factor in the second half. He, he really struggled out of the gate, out of halftime. He missed, like, 3 or 4 shots, some bad misses, and he was pulled pretty much for the rest of the game, which... I think it's good that Hurley did that. You have a freshman struggling in a big game. You're losing. You don't really want him out there. So I think it's good that he did that. It's a good good lesson for Caravan. I think he'll definitely bounce back from that. He's a great shooter. Just had an off, off couple of minutes there.
3: Uh, some of Hurley's um, lineup changes were a bit questionable to me. Uh, for a game where we were being – that what looked like dominated in the paint. We saw very little Donovan Klingon. only nine minutes for him. He had two points. Um, uh, I feel like the second he entered the game, the entire game changed. Uh, You know, I would have loved to have him in a little bit more in the first half. Uh, You know, Wahab seemed to be having his way with Sunogo, which was surprising me. Almost every time up to the court, they would nail him in the paint and he would just throw up a little hook shot and it would fall in or – He pulled down an O-board. He had nine rebounds in this game, which is ridiculous. He just had a very good game. He had 16 uh, 16 and nine. And, you know, just you bring in Klingon, and then he disappears. I didn't see him do anything for the last five or ten minutes. Um, And then, again, I'm going to go back to that lineup that Hurley pulled out. It worked. You know, it worked this time. But I don't know how comfortable I feel with – all those guys out on the floor in a in a moment in which you know we have to make a run if you want to win you know you want your guys out there you want your best players out on the court you want Hawkins out there you want Newton out there and having Diarra on the floor in a pivotal moment uh kind of just really caught me by surprise
1: it's not so much about the start the lineup that really starts the game as opposed to the lineup that gets it done all game you know I don't think this lineup's going to change at all no matter what but I mean if a guy like Caravan is having a rough night and he's going to slide everybody down and put a guy like Joey in there or maybe even a lean it really depends who's on and I agree with you Matt that some of Hurley's rotation decisions were a little I was a little on the side of why in the world would you do that but you know it really shows that he knows way better than us because, I mean, they won by 11 when they were down by seven or eight. So really shows that he knows hoop. I mean, we do too, but not as much as Hurley does.
0: So I'm going to counter that a little bit. I don't want to start a debate here. That's not the type of podcast we are. But you see the starting lineup with Newton, Newton Hawkins, Jackson, Sonogo, and Caravan. They were the guys that were out there when Georgetown was on that big run. I'm I'm in favor of them pulling most of those guys off. See what the bench has got. See if they see if they put in more effort. Obviously they did, with the guys like Diara, who didn't didn't play much. he ended up playing a lot in the second half once he checked in, and even like Aline, he didn't do pretty much really any scoring in the game. But he was out there during that run, being uh forced on the defensive end. So I was in favor of the changes. But like you mentioned, it'd be good to have our guys out there, like Hawkins, like you know he can knock down a three at any time it'd be nice to have that option out there but if they're struggling I'm fine with rolling the bench out there especially because we have the deepest bench in America
2: yeah and that's kind of a strategy that coaches like to use when you know his best guys are struggling he pulls them puts some bench guys in and maybe the bench guys come in with energy and the guys who had to come out of the game kind of get a kick and they're like all right what am I doing here it's a little drastic but it's definitely a strategy. Guys do it. And Dan Hurley is not known for not being drastic. So uh, it was interesting.
3: Another way to look at it could possibly be, you know, he put in a lot of guys who have who have not had the hottest start to the season in a big moment. And, you know, maybe he wanted to get a little bit out of them. Uh, throwing b r in there, who's had trouble scoring, and him coming in there, you know, maybe this will tick up his confidence. I don't know how important Hurley thought the game was. Uh, You know, you obviously want to win every game. But, I mean, we're 13-0 and now. If we lost the game, we would have been 12-1. and Would that be the end of the world? I'm not sure. I feel like he did this in sort of a move to help these players gain confidence to show that he believes in them and that – you know, if someone's not showing up, you know, he he might put you in, you might have that opportunity. He wants to make, I feel like he wants to make sure everyone knows that, you know, they could be the next man up, they could be the next one called into the starting lineup, uh, barring injury, you know, God forbid. But, you know, Hurley could have done this in a tactical move to, you know, try and help some of these players gain some confidence.
2: That's a game inside the game right there. You know, uh, things you move or things you do in a game for morale, things coaches do, which is a underrated aspect especially in college basketball so we might be looking too deep into it but i'm glad we got a little theory going we're known to theorize on how about the Huskies podcast we certainly are
0: yeah definitely and just i want to bring up a couple more interesting stats here yukon got out rebounded 40 to 28 by georgetown a big portion of that was kudos wahab which another side note i believe is pronunciation was changed i don't remember what it is now but he used to be The on the broadcast it said like Cadis or something i'm gonna call him Wahab. That's but i've always known him as no disrespect to him if i'm saying his name incorrectly but yeah he had nine rebounds the whole georgetown starting lineup had four more rebounds and for yukon outside of sunogo and jackson really no rebounding at all and that 28 rebounds comes the game after we had 54 rebounds against butler so just i don't i don't think it's a Cost or concern, but just interesting to note. We had like half as many rebounds. We still find a way to win. And also a couple of technical fouls in this game. A couple unnecessary ones. Jackson, uh, he hit that three-pointer, kind of held the pose there that got one. And then Hurley, he got one for just not even like arguing, really, just saying something. He did disliked and got one there. So we haven't really seen too many of those, really. The only one that comes to mind for me is the Hawkins one against Iowa State, which really knocked him out of the game. But it's kind of – I kind of like it in a sense. It kind of fires the team up. But what are your guys' thoughts?
3: The Jackson one to me was a little funny because I would bet money on it that someone was yelling something at him before or while he was taking the shot, saying something about his shooting. You know, it's very, very talked about and – You know, our little community that we have here, you know, whether or not he'll develop that jump shot one day. And I guarantee you he was he was like sitting up to take that shot. And someone either off the bench or on the other team was like daring him to take it, saying some nasty thing to him. And he hit the shot and he looked right back at him. And, you know, I feel like I feel like he may may have let him have it. You know, I'm just theorizing once again, but uh, part of me thinks that.
2: My absolute favorite move in college basketball is a coach getting a te- technical foul to get his guys going. Um, we saw Jim Calhoun do it a lot. That was a move that he coined, he trademarked, and we're seeing it with Dan Hurley. He did it against Nova last year. Uh, he did it a little too well. He got thrown out, but man, was everyone fired up in that game. We ended up pulling out the win. So I'm all in favor of a coach getting a tee to get the boys going.
0: Yeah, if you're going you're going to get a technical foul, just make sure you don't get two cuz you get two you're done. We realized that last year in the Villanova game, which is the next game on Yukon's calendar. It's on December 28th, and as you may know, which they posted on Instagram, the Yukon Huskies Instagram, the game is sold out. But the note and uh that's just on the Yukon Huskies website. It's where it's sold out, but you can still get your tickets on the third-party sites such as a SeatGeek. That's a good one. Uh Seek Geek, if you use code HBTH at checkout, you can get twenty dollars off your first order. And for the Villanova game, I'm just checking right here. The cheapest ticket, $170. It could be 150 It's not too big of a difference, but you're still you saving money. Um Yeah, so if you use code HBTH at checkout, seek Geek, $20 off your first order. It helps us out a lot, more than we even imagined it would. So yeah, I appreciate the support we've had so far with it. And- Let's keep going.
2: And if you use the code the proceeds will get to go to getting Andrew and Matt Christmas hats for next Christmas. So it's going to a good cause, guys.
0: Yeah, some of us didn't understand the assignment, but that's all good. Uh we'll move on here to a kind of a new segment. I posted on my Instagram story for you guys to ask some questions about the team in general. And we got a couple of couple of responses. So I'll start with this first one here. Where do you envision Nahim Alain and Hassan Diara in March, like, where do you think they'll fit in? And you guys have any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I've got some thoughts. Um, It's really going to depend on the game. I mean, you can't really say where they're going to be as of right now in the end of December when we've still got 17 games to go and then hopefully three in the Big East tournament and a bunch in March, hopefully. I think they're going to end up being rotational players no matter what, but they're not going to necessarily get the time that they've gotten so far this year, like 13, 14 minutes. I mean, if they're not on their game, Hurley's going to play the best players. I mean, he doesn't care who, what their name is. If they're shooting well from the field, and playing well all around, he's going to play them. He really doesn't care what the name is. All he cares about is the stats, and that's what wins you games in March, not the players' names, you know. So I think they'll end up being rotational players all season long, but it's really going to depend on how everyone else is doing and how they are doing when they get in the game. But I don't think there will will ever be a game where they sit out.
3: One thing about Dan Hurley is he does not mind running a smaller lineup of seven guys. Um You know, they'll definitely be in there. They'll definitely play in minutes in March. You know, I'm not doubting that. But, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if in the first game in March we see a seven-player rotation and we just beat the brakes out of whoever we're playing against. You know, just kind of uh, to kind of send a statement. I feel like once we get deeper in March is when we'll start to see, you know, bigger rotations because, you know, your guys are going to guess playing 40-something games in a, in a year, you know, they're not all built to do that yet, especially after exiting twice in the first round of March. So I feel like to start off March, you know, we'll see a smaller rotation, get a few guys in off the bench, but then, you know, the deeper we go, I feel like we'll start seeing more and more action out of those guys.
2: Um, I think I see them as like a good five to ten minutes a game, and I hope that happens because I really think with this team, the depth and keeping guys rested and keeping fresh legs coming in is important um I see them both as guys who could have some really good minutes in a March Madness game either of them we've seen good minutes out of DR this year and last year I just want to point out Nahim had a career game in March Madness I think he had 31 I forget who they were playing but he played the best game of his career in March Madness so I see them as five to ten minutes a game and either one of them could definitely play some good minutes and extend their own minutes
3: Yeah,
0: like you mentioned, the lean, he had that big game in March. It was against Florida. I remember watching it. I remember he had a crazy shot to force overtime. I didn't know who he was at the time, but the shot, I still remember it to this day. And also, Diara, he doesn't have the NCAA tournament experience, but Texas A&M went all the way to the NIT final last year. So he was playing in some elimination games and helping the team there. And like Matt mentioned, Hurley likes to go to smaller rotations at times. I have the UConn-Villanova Big East semifinal. Box score pulled up here. You see the starting lineup Sonogo, Whaley, Jackson, Martin, and Cole. Then off the bench, you have Tyler Polly with 21 minutes and Gaffney with three. That's it. So, really, a six man rotation in the final game for us in the Big East tournament. So, he's not afraid to shrink those rotations down. But I think we're just so deep this year. Like compared to last year, some of the guys, there's a reason we shrunk it. But this year, we have the depth, even with Sampson coming back. We'll get to that next. But uh, that's ten guys that can legitimately play in the rotation. I think it'll be eight or nine. But it's gonna be re- it's gonna be some hard conversations cutting people out of the rotation, seeing how well they're playing, especially right now. And the next question here is, where does Sampson fit in? And I think I'll start off with this one, and you guys can give your thoughts. I think obviously he started the year at, in the starting lineup. I don't think he'll return there at least right away. Maybe he'll he'll surprise me, but. You gotta think he's he's a sophomore, his second year here. Last year he didn't play much. He played sparingly. And he really doesn't have too much of a track record. Um he really didn't play much last year, hasn't all he's done this year played the one game where he got injured. So there's really I I maybe I'm maybe I'm mistaken here, but I can see him like going to the role he had last year, where he's like maybe comes in once once in a while off the bench, but Maybe just because they obviously Hurley and the staff see more than me at all the practices over the summer, but really all we have to base off of is we learned he had a great summer in practice, and obviously like in some of I heard in the secret scrimmage versus Virginia, I believe he did well. But I just maybe because I haven't seen it, but I could easily see him not being in the rotation when he comes back, especially for some big Big East games.
3: Yeah, when he comes back, I doubt he touches the starting lineup. Um, you know, in a team like this, this deep, that has been playing this good, you're going to have to earn your spot back. You know, that's one, of the, that's one of the sad parts of it. You know, no matter how good you're doing, you know, you go down with an injury, you know, and your team, you know, is doing so good without you, you're going to have to come back. You're going to have to earn your spot. Um, so I think he'll be cut from the rotation. Probably not. If they saw he was good enough to start because don't forget um caravan was doing very good you know over the summer too and you know even into the preseason we, we heard a lot of good things about him he was practicing with the team last year and you know everyone was surprised by him so i feel like if you see the same things out of samson you know it would be wrong to just cut him from the rotation so i could see him coming back you know playing maybe to come back like around 10 minutes a game five to 10 minutes you know nothing too crazy to where he isn't making the biggest impact if he isn't playing too well but you know also where you can see what he's really made of you know how he's doing you know in 10 minutes of action you can see a lot out of the guy so if he comes back in and you know he can get like six points and like a few rebounds you know in 10 minutes that's pretty convincing you know maybe he'll he will earn his spot back but I doubt it. care Ben it's just been a different level
2: yeah uh the thing about Samson is I just really don't know where he'll fit in and i'm not saying that's a bad thing like i have absolutely no idea um and that's because we just haven't seen much of him and i think what's going to happen is maybe he won't be playing much at first and then there's going to be a game where we need him because of foul trouble or maybe someone goes down and what he's going to have to do is just respond to that respond to the pressure And if he does awesome just another great big man and i have a feeling he will because i've heard some great things about him if not It would suck. He seems like a good kid. I'd love to see him play. But if he doesn't, he doesn't respond in. So, you know, we'll see what happens with him.
1: You know, he's missed 12 games. The team's 13-0. i read a lot over the summer that he was one of their best players. In fact, in that secret scrimmage that Matt mentioned, or Connor, one of you guys, I believe him and Hawkins were the two big stars. And I can easily see him being... The first guy off the bench is Sunogo or Carabin gets into foul trouble. But the thing for Hurley to realize is if he doesn't play this kid, like if Samson doesn't play when he comes back, I would be willing to bet a lot of money that he is out the second we're out of the tournament or even win the tournament, one of the two. To the transfer portal. Um, I mean, he just he wants to play. He didn't play much last year. He was really highly talked about this year, you know, started the first game. All of a sudden goes down with that injury, misses 12 plus games because he's probably not going to be in for the Nova game. We know that by now. But I mean, I feel like if you're like Hurley, you're not going to lose Caravan or cling into the transfer portal. I mean, they're freshmen. They love the team, it seems. They're doing real well and they'd be stupid at transfer. But you really you gotta take into effect how much Samson means to this team. And if you think that the team can be fine without him and you're fine with losing him, fine. But what I feel like Hurley should do is he should take priority to put Samson in in that four or five spot, really no matter what. I mean, if is struggling Put him in that four, even if Sunoco is struggling. Put him in the five. See what the kid has in the tank. Obviously, he wants to be good. He came off a tough injury, but I think Hurley should take priority of playing him, honestly.
0: Yeah, another thing that's unfortunate for him, uh, he could come back versus Villanova. Even if he does, that's Villanova. That's a really tough game to play in. Then our three games after that, at Xavier, who's arguably the second-best team in the conference, at Providence, which that's going to be quite a matchup, and then home versus Creighton. So those are three really tough games to put in a guy who really doesn't have too much experience under his belt, especially coming off of injury. And another thing here, kind of a similar situation but kind of different at the same time. A Cook a Cook last year, obviously two different injuries. Sampson just a foot thing. We don't really know what it truly is. And a Cook had like the Achilles injury. But a Cook um he he, he kind of returned and then didn't return. He was in and out of the lineup. I could see a similar thing here where just, we're doing we're doing well and um we're doing well and it's gonna be hard to find a place for him even though he's very talented and also you mentioned the the transfers the guys that transferred out last year are guys that besides you can argue gaffney weren't really impact players like diggins i think he's doing okay and umass i'm pretty sure they're running a very deep like 11 maybe even 12 man rotation out there so he's not getting too much run uh gaffney like i mentioned he's the fau shout out to them actually they're 11 and 1 at the top of conference usa they're looking really solid he's doing well so good for him as always i don't wish any anything negative on any of these players it's just you transfer out it's it's just whatever and like floyd he's not doing too much of providence and a cook he's doing decent with george who just saw but all the players that transferred out weren't really in the rotation so if sampson like you mentioned doesn't rejoin the rotation there's a solid chance he could end up leaving.
3: This
1: is really the same thing as the Cook situation. You no, know, he was their situation is a little bit different because a cook was shining looking like NBA talent when he was a freshman and all of a sudden he goes up to block precious achua, and we all know the rest. But I mean, really, the issue last year was Achilles foot, everything. And I mean, it's tough to stay healthy after that injury. But that's really what I hope doesn't happen to Samson because he's a talented kid. He deserves all the success in the world. But I mean, you know, if it's not at UConn, you got to let that be. And I mean, I wish that a cook and Gaffney and book Knight completed their dream for all three of them to go to the NBA. But you know what? College basketball is a tough thing. Not every recruit is going to be successful, but you know, I really hope uh, that Samson, is able to come back real healthy from his injury and prove the world wrong. And even I really hope he doesn't transfer because he can be a really big impact player next year if a guy like Sanogo transfers, or not transfers, declares for the NBA draft and gets drafted, you know. So I just really, really hope that Samson's able to come back as healthy as he can be with as much potential as he had coming into
3: this year.
0: Yeah, and if he comes back and he's as good as advertised, it's just the rich get richer. So I really hope that ends up being the case. And looks like let's see how many more questions we have here. Pull this up. Looks like we have one more question. Uh, what are the odds we land more five-star recruits? I'll I'll take this as any recruits in general. Uh, for next year, I think we're pretty much set. We have uh, uh Jaden Ross, Stephon Castle, Solomon Ball, Uh, Yusuf Singare, and Jalen Stewart. But a name a name that I've really been interested in for the class of 2024 the next year is Boogie Fland. He's a guard. He's a guard from New York. He's just, He just seems like a perfect UConn guard. He's a good scorer, decent size. Just, that's just a name to watch for me. I'm not too into the recruiting side of it, but he's one name that's definitely caught my eye for the future.
3: For next year, it's going to be a little bit tough because you know, we already have four guys coming in, and we don't have nearly as much going out as we did uh, last off season. um, You know, I, I love all these four guys we have coming in, five guys. You know, we have, what is it, four four-stars, and then Ross is a three-star. Um, they all look fantastic. They all look like great players who are all going to play decent minutes, except for maybe Ross. Um, Castle will be our starter, I assume. And uh, one thing about Singara is that I haven't really noticed is that he's seven feet tall. You know he's bigger than Sonogo, and he's right up there with Klingon. Uh, Klingon stays, and we keep Singara, and I mean Sonogo is gonna have to declare. Uh, it's just there's just so much. There's a big cluster right now. I, I think we're just gonna stick with our our four or five guys for this for this off season. I, I can't see us finding any room to bring in any more of these like fantastic players unless, of course, we finish as a we finish as a top five team in the country. In which case, I feel like we'll have some very good pull to some, you know, high-quality recruits, you know, which we haven't had pull to in years and years. I think our – who was our last five-star recruit? I think 24-7 rated Alterique out of five, Alterique Gilbert, but I think he was four on ESPN. They go back and forth. I think maybe not this offseason, but the off season after, we'll see maybe a big – five-star come in and, you know, scattered four stars and, you know, hopefully get back to where we were 10, 15 years ago.
1: The thing with recruiting is you have to play your cards, right? You know, over the summer, we were big in on Scotty Middleton and all of a sudden, randomly, Jaden Ross decided that he was going to come here and, you know, Middleton probably didn't want to play behind a guy like Andre Jackson, so he decided to go to Ohio State. So, I mean, Ross is a great player. I think he's going to be great for us. But Hurley also has to think of the side that I'm looking at this rotation against Georgetown, this nine-man rotation. Seven of these players could be out of this program within the next one or two years. Obviously, besides Caraban and Klingon, everybody else could be out in the next few years. But with that shooting guard situation, I think, honestly, I think Stephon Castle is going to be a one and done. He's extremely talented. He's a six-foot-six guard. What's not to love about him? I mean, obviously, he's got to perform well. But... We've got solo ball who can take his spot, but we're going to have really Scotty Middleton part two here with Boogie Fland. If he chooses to go elsewhere, I think we're going to end up landing cave on who is a really, really good guard that Hurley, I believe bo- Hurley and Tom Moore just offered him, I think last week. So it's going to be that situation again, where if, we land land the five-star, great, but we're going to get a good player at that position no matter what, which is what I think is going to end up happening. And if this team wants to be back where it was, we're going to have players for one or two years. You're going to be refreshing your roster really every year because guys are going to want to start coming here. We're going to land more five-stars, and it's definitely going to be interesting with the recruiting because, I mean, I wasn't expecting for this class to be this big. You know, I was always saying, oh, yeah, we got these three. We're not going to get any more bam, all of a sudden we get Stewart and Singara. We've got a whole starting five for next year's recruiting class. So I think it's going to be a lot different than it has been in the past, but I'm really excited for it.
3: Yeah, I just want to talk about Solo Ball for one second. He was at the game, actually, against Georgetown. He came out. They gave him a standing ovation at center court. Kid is electric. I don't know if you've seen anything of Solo Ball, watched his highlights, but if not, I highly advise you to. Um, to me, I feel like he has much higher upside than Castle. This is a personal opinion, you know. I'm not here to start any fights. But to me, solo ball looks like someone who's going to come in, and honestly, he could be a one-and-done done too. Prospe- uh Scouts love prospects like him, you know. He can jump out of the gym. He reminds me a lot of like a a bit of a smaller John Morant in a way. He is – He's crazy. So, I mean, a lot of these guys who come in, you never know. You never know how they're going to play at the college level. But, you know, it seems like we have very, very high upside on a lot of these players. And we could be, you know, seeing more one and duns than maybe we expected or more players to go out earlier than we expected. So, you know, it's just something to keep an eye on.
0: Yeah, I'll touch on Singare real quick right here. I was just – I saw the leaderboard for Overtime Elite where he's playing this year, which is an up and coming league that's kind of alternative to college, if you guys aren't aware. Um, yeah, he's leading overtime elite in rebounds per game, which with over 10. And that's with some top prospects in there. Like, I'm pretty sure, I'll just, from what I know, either you can take salary from them and not be eligible for college, or you can not take the salary and you can go to college. I assume, I hope at least he's taking that route, or else that'd be an interesting development. Singari can't play for us because he's getting paid there. That'd be that'd be quite a development, but I'm pretty sure he, he, he'll he be fine. And yet, he's leading a very respectable up-and-coming league in rebounding. And especially if we lose guys like Sanogo and Jackson, who are both elite rebounders, we're going to be missing that part of the team. So bringing in a great rebounder, especially like Matt, you mentioned, he's seven feet tall. It's just, just adding to the wealth that we already have.
2: Yeah, not to get too sidetracked here, but um kevin ollie's running the show over there overtime elite it's a really cool program kind of reminds me of like junior league hockey almost for basketball so uh check that out if you haven't heard about it it's really cool program i don't know if it's great for college basketball and if i should be promoting it but it's interesting
3: also a bit of a fun fact andrew bynum you know very similar to the singara situation singara you know he can you know, either choose to come play for us. But if he took the salary and, you know, he'll forego college, you know, that happened to us once. Hopefully it won't happen again. And we saw what happened when buying him. he, he was a pretty good big in the league for a few years. So, you know, just a food for thought.
0: Yeah, I don't want to start any rumors here. Singari is coming to UConn. If that changes, it's, it's, I have no inside information if he's taking the salary or not. I don't want to be like the bad guy here. He's He'll be at UConn. He's not getting paid the overtime elite. He'll be here next year. And also another quick, we're going to wrap up here soon, but a quick note that I noticed. We're bringing in the five guys, the Fab Five, as they're called. And we're currently, we're at 13 for our uh, scholarships. We brought in Apostolos, Rumaglu, and Yaron Hassoon late in the window. The only I'm pretty sure with COVID restrictions, the only guy that has to leave is Joey Calcaterra. He's a grad student. I'm pretty sure Newton and Aline, who are both seniors, both have an extra year of eligibility. So in a magical world where Hawkins doesn't go pro, Jackson doesn't go pro, Sanogo, and the two seniors come back, you're looking at 17 people for 13 spots. That's not going to happen, but we'll fantasize here. What do you do? What do you do if you have too many people? I mean, the obvious answer, I think, would be to cut the Europeans. No disrespect to them, but see ya. Um, then you're you still a, there's a couple over. I mean, what do you do there? <laughs>
3: Hurley has any gut to him. He would tell Sanogo just to get out. Um, you know, it, it would make no sense for him to come back. He has to go collect his paycheck elsewhere, man. You know, you see it happen a lot more now, especially a few years ago, Zion Williamson, it was a big thing on whether or not he wanted to stay at Duke or go. And uh, Coach K was essentially like, you're not on the team if you decide to come back. You need to go. You need to earn your money. You need to feed your family, stuff like that. You need to put them in houses. So, Hurley, I doubt, would allow it, but, I mean, it would be fun.
1: It's the same situation as last year. I mean, people were saying that Martin and Cole should come back to school. Why would they do that? I mean, Martin's getting minutes in the NBA. He's playing in the G League. I mean, even Whaley and Pauly coming back for that year was huge for us, but, you know, they're both playing pro right now. And I think that, I mean, Hawkins is in the first round, of a lot of NBA mock drafts that I'm looking at. Sonogo and Jackson are late second round or undrafted, but getting contracts, and those three will definitely be able to play a pro basketball somewhere. I mean, Sonogo with his footwork, he's a little undersized for an NBA center. I mean, Hawkins obviously he has everything. And then Jackson's just athleticism is just great for the NBA. So those three guys, they're definitely gonna play a pro. I mean, even like Buck Knight. If he had come back last year, yeah, that team would have been great. But, I mean, that just would have been stupid for him because he's cl- he was a lottery pick. I mean, sure, if he wanted to be the first pick last year. But, you know, sometimes you got to know when guys are ready to get a- out of college. And I think these three definitely are.
3: You know, I'm surprised the no-go isn't a little bit higher because, in my personal opinion, he's been in the NBA for a long time as Tristan Thompson. Uh, Sunogo you know he's adding his range but they share a lot of similarities they're really good in the post they pulled on rebounds well they got that little hook shot you know the fact that Sunogo is shooting farther shots now is very convincing in my opinion he should be a first round draft pick and I, by the end of the year you know he definitely shouldn't slip right in there the only thing concerned like changing that is his age but you know, he, there are a lot of players that have been in the league like him, and Sinogo is just so skilled. And, you know, I bet he works a lot harder than the majority of these guys. So we'll just have to wait and see.
0: Yeah. For Sinogo, if he's a late first round pick, you said you mentioned his age. If he's a late first rounder, that's going to be to a contender who wants to win now. So they may rather take a junior out of college as opposed to a guy that's just a freshman, one and done 18 year old. So that could be a benefit for him. And I'm going to make a quick. I'm not a prediction, but I think obviously Joey's gone. I think both Newton and Aline will leave unless unless one of them like, is terrible to a sense where they're not going to make a lot of money. If anything, Pro will come back a year, but I don't think that's going to be the case. I think they'll both be gone. I think Hawkins will definitely be gone. I think he has the potential to be a lottery pick, but after that with Jackson and Sanogo, it's tricky. Obviously, I want them to be Huskies, but I think at least one of them will leave, maybe two, but I'll stick with one for now. Which one, I won't tell you, because I don't know. But I think we will definitely f- make room for, to make to add in the Fab Five. There's going to be no issues there getting rid of people. I think we'll be fine in that department.
2: Not to mention, as much as it would be fun to have guys stay, the more pro players you produce, the more recruits want to sign with you. So it's really good for future recruiting if guys are getting drafted, guys are getting paid to play basketball. So – You know, as much as it would be fun to have those guys back, we're looking to the future a little bit, and those guys should look to their futures too.
1: And with Klingon wanting to start, like, these guys, like, the extra COVID year eligibility is great, but, you know, you got to think of development for these guys. I mean, I really hope that Klingon is going to be playing 30 to 33 minutes a game next year because he should be if Sunogo is gone, which I think he should be. But really, that's what they have to think about too is that, I can go to the league or I can be really good in college, but I'm going to be screwing up my teammates' development. You know, obviously, Klein wants to go to the NBA, and I think he's going to be good enough, but, you know, he's got to develop in college. So I think that's that's a big part of why some guys go pro. I mean, if, like, Hawkins, if he would stay another year and then Solo and Stefan wouldn't get to, um, what's the word, like, get better – then it would just screw with everything. So I think that's really the biggest part of deciding to go pro is developmental stuff with your future teammates and current teammates.
0: Yeah, you mentioned Klingon. I saw some people saying he could be one and done this year. I don't see it. He's not, not that he doesn't have the ability to. I just think he's not playing enough to have the scouts on his radar. He definitely. He has the potential to be a one-and-done, but I don't think he will be. I think he'll be here at least another year, maybe more. And truthfully, I didn't see him as too much of an NBA prospect until he really bursted onto the scene here. So I'm really impressed with that. I'm happy for him.
3: Yeah, big men in college basketball seem to blow my mind because I feel like no matter the numbers you put up, there are always going to be factors that you know change whether or not you get drafted. Zach Eady is a junior this year. He's averaging 22 and 13. He's going to be the national player of the year at this pace. And where is he going to go? We have no idea. Oscar Schwebe last year, how many rebounds did that guy average? 15? At the end, like, he's still at Kentucky. Like, it, it, to me, it, it's mind-boggling how these big men just kind of stick around for, I feel, a lot longer than they should. Um, Yeah, I just so I just feel like I'd add that.
2: Armando Bacon, too, you could add to that list.
0: Yeah, a couple more guys I think of. Kofi Coburn was dominant at Illinois, another guy UConn didn't miss out on recruiting. He was undrafted. It's just because he's a big guy that can't shoot, and that's what the NBA is turning into. You need to be able to make the three. And also, for Indiana, Trace Jackson Davis, I remember when after, he's the same class as Booknight was, and I remember seeing after their freshman years, they were like, like the consensus top two returning players to college basketball or at least the returning sophomores and Jackson Davis is still in college now. So it just shows the big men don't get too much love from the pro scouts. And I'll, I have one more thing to add Then we're going to finish up here. Uh, we mentioned the one and dones and the leaving after two years and how we want the players to stay. We were kind of spoiled for a few years there. Guys like Vital played all four years and he was great Adams all four years. Even go back to Shabazz and Boatwright. They played all four years. Because we didn't really have the talent to be have one and done, so we grew a lot closer to those players in a sense. So obviously, a guy like Jackson, I'd love to have him for all four years, cement his legacy in UConn. But I don't think it's going to be the case.
3: A lot of players seem to be learning that you know, testing their luck in the NBA, it doesn't seem to work out. Um, You know, we've seen a lot of like we've seen a decent amount of players from UConn do that. Uh Daniel Hamilton rings a bell to me. Um he left and then we never heard from him again. He bounced around the league, and I have no idea where he is now. The last player I can, I feel like I can remember that left like early, early, was Andre Drummond. Um he was pretty successful, and around that same time, Jeremy Lamb. I'm pretty sure only played for us for two years. It's been a long time since we've had players coming in and out in a year or two. And I feel like players are starting to learn that, you know, maybe a next year in college can't hurt, you know, besides risking injury. But, I mean, the benefit that I could bring you is just ginormous. You know, whether you're a lottery pick or not, if you could play in the NBA for a long time, you know, that's better than ever being a lottery pick. So, yeah, I mean, p- players are just –
0: yeah, I'm pretty sure like outside of book night, like you mentioned, Lamb and Drummond were the last time we really had people leave early. But that's going to change in the future. I can guarantee you that. And I think that'll just about do it here for episode 11, the, the Christmas special. Very festive episode here. Uh, Thank you for watching. I uh, wish you all a Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays, whatever you celebrate. And look for another episode, hopefully before the Villanova game. We'll do a full preview of that. UConn's 13-0, and obviously. Villanova, quietly, since Cam Whitmore rejoined the lineup, is 5-0. and So they're on a five-game win streak. So it should be a great game. Great game in Hartford. We'll preview it next week. And, yeah, thanks for watching.